Hello everyone, my name is Eric Jones. Welcome to the uh, lecture entitled Natural Pest Controls. It is a PowerPoint presentation that I did put together uh, from a textbook that I used to use in the class. Uh, it's entitled The Gardener's Guide to Common Sense Pest Control. I'm sure you could still find it on Amazon, but it is a real good book. Uh, I use it quite a bit, still refer back to it, and there is a couple chapters out of here that I wanted to include in these series of lectures this summer um, just because I think it could help jumpstart you on developing an integrated pest management plan uh, or IPM plan. So it's good information. Uh, you know, the first chapter entitled Natural Pest Controls is all about how Mother Nature controls some of our most horrific pests. And, uh, and they may be horrific to you. Uh, they may be lovable by others. It just depends. And, and that really, a lot of this comes down, guys, to does it, is it causing us economic damage? You know, are we talking about uh, an infestation of pests that could totally wipe out our crops? Or are we talking about dandelions and clover uh, in our fescue lawns here? So, um, yes, if it's going to cause you economic damage, we need to, to get rid of those pests. You may have some clients now that can live with clover and dandelions in their turf and not and not really care about it. They're they're not they're not wrapped up in all that. But you may have a client, the good clients to have, that want you to eradicate all dandelions and all crabgrass and clover from the yard. They want that perfect stand of grass. So, but what I'm just trying to get 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 at, uh, guys, is that you know people's. Uh, perception of pests may be different uh, from others. And so uh, we're going to talk about how Mother Nature can control some of these pests that we, uh, that we don't like to see. And so in this lesson, we're going to look at the balance of nature and some of the fundamental ways in which living organisms control their own population and populations of other living organisms. We're going to talk about parasites. We're going to talk about peritosoids. We're going to talk about... Um, you know, some damage that we may think is just horrible, but is actually beneficial, especially uh, some oak trees out in California that we'll see here in the next um, couple slides. But, um, but anyway, it's, it's just amazing how um, the natural world can start taking care of itself. And, you know, as, as humans, um, you know, we sometimes disrupt that. But obviously, when we look at all living organisms, we are including the subset of organisms that we regard as pests. Now, again, some of the pests may just be a nuisance, while others may uh, actually cause economic damage. And when it comes to economic damage, we want to, um, we want to, uh, to get rid of those pests, especially when it starts involving our livelihood. So we might ask, what is natural pest control? Natural pest control is pest control that occurs in nature without any prompting from humankind. So that means we don't have our lawn care technicians out there spraying uh, for weeds or, uh, or insects or, or, you know, doing pre-emergent applications. We're letting Mother Nature take care of it. Now, in the lawn, we're probably not going to worry about natural pest controls. Um, you know, I could see that when it comes to the insect side of thing, but uh, you know, the, the one way to get rid of crabgrass is that you're going to have to use a pre-emergent um, in the spring uh, and later on in the spring, and then possibly a post-emergent herbicide uh, later on in the summer. So, you know, there's things that we're going to have to use pesticides for, uh, but um, you know, natural pest control has no interruptions from man. Uh, or woman uh, applying any type of pesticide. It all happens in the natural world. 
And we humans have disturbed this great system, and we must learn how to reestablish its effects. And by doing that, we can incorporate that into our integrated pest management plans. And so hopefully this is getting you um, uh, jump-started on what type of integrated pest management plan that you may want to do for your project. Do you want to do it for a turf grass? Do you want to do it for greenhouse tomatoes? Do you want to do it for geraniums? What, what type of plant and situation do you want um, to create your IPM plan? So it's a jump start on that. Gives you a good foundation. The next podcast that we're going to talk about is going to be your introduction to uh, integrated pest management. So we're, uh, we're getting off to that with a real good start. Understanding the natural principles will help you tremendously in managing your pest problems. You got to understand them. Uh, and what principles do we do we might have? Well, we're going to find out. And furthermore, these concepts are critical to the development of a successful IPM program. Now, think about it on the turf grass side. We have crabgrass, digitaria species. It can produce 2,000 seeds per single square foot in a single season. So think about that. 12 inches by 12 inches or a foot by a foot, crabgrass can produce 2,000 seeds. Now, think about you, a horticulture professional, a turf grass professional, you know, whichever, whichever side of the uh, horticulture side you're coming from, you're the expert. You've got the perfect lawn. You take care of it. You maintain the property, you know, you're happy, happy with your turf grass. A neighbor moves in who does not care how their yard looks. They get crabgrass that produces 2,000 seeds per single square foot. And you have a big windstorm or you're downhill from that house and the rain pushes those seeds over into your yard. Look at, look at what that can do to your yard. Now you come home, your spouse is going to be upset with you because you have the you had this perfect yard and all of a sudden it starts looking bad. They're going to blame you, but you being the expert realizes what's going on. And, and the one thing that I like about, you know, neighborhoods and what I try to introduce to our clients is that I want that turf grass separation. I don't want my turf grass running into the neighbor's turf grass. I want a shrub bed or some type of barrier that separates my grass from their grass. And that could be part of an IPM plan itself. You've got the perfect lawn. You don't want the weed seeds coming over from your neighbor's lawn. And a good old picture of uh, the good old crabgrass. So, um, you know, you'll study a little bit more about crabgrass in your ornamentals and turf uh, textbook. So uh, the good thing is, is you can take that textbook out, um, you know, try to find some crabgrass and, you know, study it and, and, and be able to identify that for people. Because a lot of people will get their, their weed grasses, um, you know, mixed up. You know, Dallas grass, uh, people may think is crabgrass when it's truly crabgrass. So um, start to learn it. Start to learn your, um, your weeds that are out there. Um, the common housefly, it can lay over 600 eggs, which mature in about six days in hot weather. Think about this. You know, you got you got you got a male and female fly flying around in your house, driving you crazy. Um, they're going to lay these 600 eggs. Uh, they're they're going to mature. So that means they're going to hatch. They're going to be grown adults in about six days when it's really really hot. Um, 
think of that reproductive rate. Seriously, think about that in six days. So you have 600 eggs, uh, which in another six days have laid 600 eggs. Given that reproductive rate, that original pair of flies could eventually uh, create a layer of flies thousands of feet thick or deep around the entire planet in just one summer. But we're thinking about well, how can that not happen? Well, it's not going to happen because of natural pest controls. But if there was no natural pest controls or natural enemies of the common house fly, think about having a world covered thousands of feet thick with the common house fly. You know, it could destroy, you know, it would just be the, the, the planet of flies. But, um, and think about this, you know, you've got a couple flies even hanging around in your, in your, in your garbage can and, you know, it, they come and pick up trash on a weekly basis. So you've got two flies hanging out in the trash can. They've just laid 600 eggs. You know, the whole thing could really, really get out of hand. But thank goodness that there is the natural pest controls. And what are some natural pest controls? And why has this not happened? Because of our natural pest controls. And just think about it. Step back. Think about what could be some natural enemies um, of the common house fly. Well, you know, other flying insects that eat them. Spiders. Spiders are one of the most beneficial uh, natural pest controls that are out there. I love spiders. And people, you know, they, they, they freak out when they see the spiders or they want to stomp on it or they want to, um, you know, destroy them. No, your spiders are one of the main reasons we don't have that thousands of layers of thickness of um, flies out there. You know, birds eat them. Rain is a big uh, enemy of the fly. Any of these little flying insects, when it comes up a major thunderstorm, you know, they are, you know, they are destroyed because of a natural pest control such as rain. And so what are some common natural pest controls? Most important ones are climate and weather, food and habitat, pathogens, Predators, parasites, and paritosoids. And so let's examine each one of these natural pest controls uh, in more detail. Climate and weather. What is the difference between the two? So what is the difference between climate and weather? Climate is a long-term overview of temperature and humidity changes in a region. So it's, it's over a greater period of time. Um, you know, we have a particular climate here in you know the southeast and you know here in the piedmont uh, of north carolina even our client climate here in in the triad is different than the climate at the beach so uh you know not that far off but it is still a different uh region weather is the local and short-term variation in climatic conditions so weather we might have a wet summer we may have a dry summer. We may have a cold uh, winter, uh, you know, from from last um, from last winter. But you know, think about think about some things that could happen based on um, weather and conditions. And so, what what comes to my mind is the tomato hornworm. Um, you know, it is a pest in this area, and warm summers 
can really favor that hornworm. And, um, you know, given the weather in any type of year, whether it's wet or dry, is going to determine whether that horn, the hornworm breaks out early or late in the season. And to some extent, how large the outbreak is. And so how big the outbreak is based on uh, whether it is wet or dry is going to determine how much damage we could have to uh, the tomatoes growing in our garden. And there is a good old picture of the tomato uh, hornworm. And so, you know, it has natural predators, you know, the one being the climate here. But just think about all the other insects that would love to, uh, to get hold of this little guy for dinner. Food and habitat. If there's no food, there's no organisms. Pests must have something to eat. And the simplest non-toxic method of control could be just eliminating their food source. So again, integrated pest management. Is there a way to get rid of the pest's foods? Very, very simple. Start thinking about ways of, of how to do that. Example, the ash aphid on the Modesto ash trees. Now, um, with the, uh, with the, uh, the ash trees, um, sitting here thinking about that, um, just kind of recollect on my, uh, my pest management career, but with, with the, uh, the ash tree in some areas of California, um, having the sucker growth, uh, on these trees, um, prevents a natural habitat, uh, for the ash aphid. And if you create a condition where these suckers are going to grow at the base of the tree, um, or you let the suckers grow and you don't cut the, the suckers back because, you know, naturally all, all types of trees, you know, they're going to have some suckers at the base. And especially if you're pruning the tops uh, of these trees and you cut them back and you generate that um, um, sucker growth at the bottom and you don't prune that away, you're creating a, a perfect home uh, for these aphids. And they will curl up in the leaves and they'll, they'll drip this honeydew all over the cars and sidewalks, and, and which just becomes a sticky mess all over the place. Um, but it's, it can create mold that'll grow, and, and it'll just damage, damage your cars. It's, it's, not, it's not a pretty sight. I mean, it's, it's not going to, you know, hurt you or harm you. It's just going to financially... Uh, destroy your car and you're going to have to get it painted and stuff and you know this is this is what they do they curl up inside those leaves and they drip that honeydew but we're only going to find them on the sucker growth and so if if you hire a landscaper and they come in and they start butchering the top of the trees and that's going to you know give this whole flush of sucker growth um it's 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 going to you know just create an entire mess for us um Uh, think about deciduous trees, other, other deciduous trees, you know, the aphids, they need the, um, they need the iron and not the iron. They need the nitrogen. They need high nitrogen levels. They, they need that, um, to, to feed on. They, um, uh, 
they form new tissue and to produce their young by eating, um, you know, um, nutrients or eating plant materials that, that is high in the nitrogen levels. And so when you apply nitrogen, uh, you may create more of a aphid infestation on your plant materials. So depending on when you put out that nitrogen, uh, you may have um, the uh, larger populations of it. So the aphids, they do have two population peaks each season. And this corresponds when nitrogen levels are at the highest in the, the foliage. And that's at spring leaf unfold. And then fall leaf drop is when you're going to see that happen. Uh, and so don't create more of a problem uh, with nitrogen applications. Um, you know, hold back. Don't do the nitrogen applications at that time of year when you're going to have uh, uh, the higher levels uh, anyway. Pathogens. One can properly think of the most human uh, lives as caught in a precarious equilibrium between the microperiodicism of disease organisms and the macroperiodicism of large body predators chief among which have been other human beings. And that is a quote from William McNeil in his book, Plagues and Peoples. You know, the one thing that could wipe human humans off the face of this earth uh, is a virus. But pathogens, you know, they um, are going to show up when there's an overpopulation uh, of a pest. And when you have over, overpopulation, that is going to create a resource depletion, meaning, you know, less food, which will cause malnutrition. And there will also be competition for habitat. And this has always led to disease and war when it comes to human beings. But, you know, Mother Nature has uh, definitely been doing this a lot longer um, than we have. So, you know, plants and animals have survived a, a lot longer. They will be here uh, a lot more, you know, after, you know, our time here is gone. If something was to come and wipe out, uh, you know, the human population, there are still going to be plants and animals that remain. And um, they're just true fighters when it comes to survival. Um when it comes to pathogens, think about the old folk pest control remedy. I'm sure all of us can remember, um, you know, either, you know, our grandparents or maybe a great uncle or something that, that had these um, folk remedies uh, for pest control. And so think about it. Find an example. Maybe shoot me an email of something that you had heard of. But we had all heard about, um, you know, crushing up dead bugs, you know, you find the dead bugs and crush them up and, you know, take the juice from those bugs and apply them to your, to your plants or, or you know, around your garden because you're spreading that disease or whatever that did kill uh, the original uh, insect. You just got to be careful with some of that stuff because, you know, things that kill, um, you know, insects could also kill human beings. And, and that's, uh, um, you know, when we start thinking about the different pesticides that we apply, we apply herbicides for uh, for weeds, we apply fungicides for fungus, and then we we uh, we apply insecticides to to get rid of the insects. And so, um, you know, things that kill the insects, guys, could kill us. Predators, they are critical in the suppression of natural populations of animals and plants, and together with pathogens and peritosoids, make up the wonderful world of biological control. Now, there are companies that directly 
um, specialize in selling beneficial insects. Uh, and that's going to be kind of hard out in the open landscape. But think about the greenhouse environment. Some of you guys have already had uh, greenhouse operations and, and production. And so you know you're in a controlled environment. And so when you are controlling uh, an insect within a greenhouse, you could do that with a beneficial insect. And like I said, there's companies that specialize in just breeding these beneficial insects and actually coming out to your property or shipping them to you uh, to release in a controlled environment. We have mammals, arthropods, and then uh, you have microorganisms or, you know, the fungus uh, that exists out there. And these are what we call free living um, general feeders. Predators, they may eat uh, a single prey at a meal or they may consume um, many individuals as our lady beetle does. Now, what would be an issue with using ladybugs as a beneficial insect? Now, they have the, um, they're kind of known for just skimming off the top uh, of the pest problem. They're going to eat and run, basically. So, releasing these ladybugs out around your foundation plants might not be the thing to do um, to help get rid of a, an unwanted pest. But using these ladybugs uh, in a greenhouse, especially a greenhouse, you know, where the windows are screened uh, or has screening over it and, and actually contains them within that greenhouse is going to, to do you some good. Uh, you know, they're going to stay in inside their, um, inside their area and we'll, uh, we'll get most of it. But, uh, um, you, you don't want your you don't want your your beneficial insects or whatever to you don't want to totally eradicate uh, the pest. Uh, you you do want some to hang around still, uh, and what that does is is create um, a food source for for other insects. And you know if if you eradicate all your pests, uh, let's say in the greenhouse then the beneficials are going to take off. They're going to leave and they're not going to want to, they're not going to return because, they're, uh, because their food source is cut off. Um, predatory insects in the larval stage must consume several prey to attain maturity. So the predator adults lay their eggs near populations of prey where the hatching young have a good chance of obtaining food. Now, um, what exception to the rule might this be? What other type of insects may totally uh, not do this? And that's going to be spiders. And like I said, spiders are one of the best natural pest controls that are out there. And what do they do? What is it that the spiders do? Well, they're going to lay, uh, they're going to weave their web in areas um, where they know um, their prey is going to hatch their eggs. And so what they're going to do is they establish themselves in that environment um, where their prey is more likely to encounter them. So they're going to put their webs over holes. They're going to put them near flower pots. And as soon as these, you know, insects emerge, um, you know, from the ground or whatever, the spiders are going to, to collect them in their web. And, you know, for the longest time outside of my house, we had the hugest, hugest, uh, spider. I mean, you know, the, the body of it was 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 almost the size of a um, uh, half dollar. You know, it's bigger bigger than a quarter. And I loved going out and watching this guy um, 
uh, all the time, and I'd watch him at night. You'd see a fly or you'd see a mosquito or something fly into the net, and he would just attack. It was one of the coolest things to watch. But those spiders, um, you know, don't kill them. Keep them around. Yes, if it's a, um, you know, brown recluse or, you know, um, you know, losing track here, uh, the brown recluse or the um, – uh, the Black Widow, yes, we definitely want to, to get rid of those. Now, parasites and protozoids, you know, what is the difference? And which is more effective? Well, um, the difference is, is parasites don't kill the host. Parasoids do. And so which do you think is going to be more effective? And it's going to be the one that, that kills the host. So parasoids are more beneficial than the parasites. And uh, example of a parasite is the common pinworm. You know, they're, they're found all over the place. Um, you, you know, it, it's kind of a gross thing, you know, you know, um, having the pinworm around, but, uh, I mean, they're there. Parasites, they're not going to regulate a pest population, but they can, um, they can, you know, put the brakes on it from, from really expanding out there, but you, you want to, you want the paritosoids um, uh, to get rid of these pests. Peritosoids are the unsung heroes of naturally occurring uh, insect pest control. They're too small to notice, and we're not going to see them with the naked eye. Usually they don't have any common names, and their scientific names are so long and difficult to pronounce that we just don't know, um, you know, don't know what they are. And this is where those... Um, companies that specialize in making the uh, um, the beneficial insects uh, come into play. Um, they're members of the bee and wasp family. They are host-specific, and they are restricted in the number of species they can attack. And being that host-specific is one way that they can eradicate that entire pest that you, that you may be having in your crops. Um, you know, here we have uh, we have a wasp that is laying uh, eggs inside the aphid, and you know when when we see aphids and we see them under the microscope and stuff, and we see that little that little pinhole that's on the side of it, the wasp has laid their eggs inside the aphid, and what that's doing for that wasp is it's given uh, it's given a place for the eggs to to develop. It's given them habitat it's giving them food and basically when those eggs hatch they eat the insides of the aphid uh until it until it kills the aphid and so when you when you do see um that pinhole on the uh the side of an aphid it's been it's been uh, it's been killed by one of the uh uh, the wasp laying the eggs in it. And so uh, I don't know if as a child, maybe when you're growing up and, you know, I've seen my kids do it, but if they catch an insect and they put the, the one insect inside the jar and then a day or two later, uh, you know, they're, you know, punching holes in it and, you know, they're trying to feed it and stuff. I mean, they, you know, kids do some, some kids stuff, but a day or two later, you might see that one insect dead but there may be five or six other different insects flying around in the jar. Well, that insect was, um, uh, you know, killed by the uh, uh, by the peritosoids. So, pretty cool stuff. 
Uh, and so how natural uh, pest controls work, they work all the time. So then why do some of our pest populations grow so large that they become a problem? Well, we're going to look at a couple examples. And so um, we have uh, the example of houseplants uh, being set outside. Now, we keep our houseplants inside during the the, the winter and stuff and you know they may get an infestation of uh, insects and, and, and stuff that uh, is only found on inside but if we place these house plants outside in warmer weather when it gets summer the house plants are out in the open environment for the natural pest controls uh, to take place whether it's you know uh, water what you know if the rain hits it and washes the aphids off or uh, the the beneficial insects are able to get to the uh, the pests that are housed on the house plant. So uh, all kinds of things by just setting out your your interior plants uh, for a day or two uh, in the summer will get rid of most of it. And then we have the uh, the California oak moth. And with the oak moth, um, it's. The oak oak moth is capable of, of completely uh, defoliating the uh, the oak trees, uh, especially when the populations are super super high. Uh, but really, when we look at this situation in depth, um, um, this only happens the defoliation uh, only happens uh, when it's the dry season in California, and so when these moths defoliate uh, the oak trees, they are reducing water loss through the leaves which actually helps the oak trees. And furthermore, uh, with these moths, the caterpillars uh, will process the leaves, which are one of the uh, harder leaves um, uh, to decompose, but these, um, the caterpillars are actually processing the leaves and they're actually dropping uh, their manure, the caterpillar manure at the base of the tree, which in return, uh, releases nutrients when the rain returns back to California. And so, yes, we might have these oak trees that look horrible uh, during the dry season, but what's really happening, guys, is, is Mother Nature's basically taking care of these, these, these oak trees. They're, they're getting rid of their leaves, which reduces water loss. The moths are decomposing those leaves, which are hard um, to get rid of anyway. And then they're returning nutrients back in the rainy season. So again, Mother Nature um, doing her thing and making sure that uh, um, you know that the trees are saved. And we need to learn more about these uh, fluctuations that are part of natural cycle events in in certain ecosystems. And we have to adjust our aesthetic opinions and reactions accordingly. And as human beings, we know that's hard to do, but. Uh, um, get over it if it looks horrible for a period of time, but it's doing the, the plant material uh, some good. Um, not wor don't worry about it. And most of our serious pest problems arise through accidental and occasionally deliberate but misguided introductions of exotic species. And some of these species include the indoor cockroach, the gypsy moth, the Japanese beetle. And guys, beetles is the most numerous. Uh, animal out there you know even over fish we think about how 
expansive and large our oceans are and the different uh, fish species out there, there's actually more beetle species than any other um, animal in the uh, animal kingdom period. The Mediterranean fruit fly, Dutch elm disease, chestnut blight, dandelions, kudzu, and even your wider water hyacinth. So all of those were uh, introduced uh, pests from, uh, from various resources. And so when we breed plants to satisfy human desires, we sometimes to destroy traits that discourage insects and disease, one being hybrid roses. You know, the traditional old, rose, uh, old roses are more disease-resistant than the modern roses. And then with our London plane trees, uh, you know, if they're you know, planted in an unfavorable site, they are susceptible to the uh, anthracnose disease, which, uh, uh, you know, causes a fungus uh, that would, uh, you know, not exist if we planted the, uh, the tree in a more favorable condition. So, um, you know, all of that comes to, uh, you know, situations that we have to incorporate into integrated pest management. Um, you know, the life cycle of the plant, the, uh, the, the more favorable site conditions of the plants, all of this um, can take place um, uh, within your IPM plan. And guys, it's one way to make money and it's one way to, to get paid for consulting. And, you know, I've always heard from some of the, the smartest individuals I know, if you can put consultant behind your name, um, you're going to make a lot more money than if you're actually out doing the work. So a little bit of advice there um, for you guys. And so we must thoroughly investigate how uh, we can maintain the natural controls when altering plants or combining plant materials from different environments. And so, um, guys, appreciate this. Hope this helps. Hope this kickstarts you onto thinking about your integrated pest management plan that you'll complete for this uh, semester. And I will see you in the next lecture. Thanks.